This is episode 125 of The Real Build. And in this episode, I sat down with Keith Calloway Jr., part owner of K&L Enterprises, which is a pavement company out of Portland, Oregon. They're one of the largest paving companies in all of the Northwest. Keith and I hit on a bunch of different construction topics, primarily hiring, dealing with employees, communication, and a big topic, family business, which Keith and I relate on quite a bit. Growing up, Keith came from a great family. They always were there for him. He got married at a young age to a girl that he was with for a long time, which his family kind of questioned it, and eventually it led to divorce. This divorce led Keith kind of down a darker path where he started going out every night. Keith and I talk about this, which eventually led into his drug addiction with methamphetamine. Keith was hooked on methamphetamines for over two years, which he talks about which his addiction took control of his life. But eventually, Keith changed his life for the better. He overcame his addiction. And this brings us to today. The company co-founded K&L Enterprises with his dad is one of the busiest paving companies in the Northwest. And Keith is passionate about paving. He is passionate about giving people a chance to get better each and every day and giving people a second chance to better their life like he did himself. So we brush on a ton of stuff in this episode. I'm excited for y'all to hear it. Please share it, like it, comment, five-star review. Let's dive in. Cue the intro. Welcome to The Real Build, the show that shows you exactly what you need to look for in construction and real estate. I am your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder, and each week I will teach you exactly what you need to look for, whether you are buying, building, or selling a house. I interview top people throughout real estate and construction to give you a better perspective prior to making one of the biggest investments of your life. I will also discuss my personal experiences as a luxury builder and real estate broker and answer your questions about the process. With that being said, welcome to The Real Build. Keith Callaway Jr., welcome to The Real Build. How are you doing today? Uh, fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm, I'm glad to have you on. You and I have been kind of going back and forth with our schedules. We're busy guys. So uh, glad we uh, worked this out for this morning here. And, um, you know, what I always like to get started with, obviously, I did your introduction, uh, you know, previously on the show here is let's talk about your background. So who is Keith Callaway Jr.? Well, first and foremost, I'm a I'm a son and a and a husband. Um, my my wife and I are in the process of you know trying to figure out what the family looks like. I'm, I'm 18 months about 18 months uh, married, so we're nice. we're early on in that process. But uh, you know, my foundation is um, I'm a sober man. I part of a big part of my story is uh, is taking some wrong turns in life and running through the trenches of addiction. And I am, I'm a believer in God and sober today, mostly, but I try to say that what I do every day is try to make the place, the place a little better than I found it, you know, whether that's at work or just in my personal life, I'm trying to, trying to change what I used to do into something that's a little bit better. Let's go into your journey a little bit too, because I've, I've obviously we're connected with um, some other people like Brian Hess and so on. I listened to your show with him, which your your story overall is very powerful. And I know it's led you 
to have kind of the success that you've had today, especially being in a family business as well. And, and we'll, t- we'll dive into that big time here. Cause you and I can relate on a lot. I mean, we've all had our ups and downs uh, in life. Uh, I I've had, I've spoke on this app on this show actually with my past too. And, you know, we've kind of figured it out. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a Christian as well. Um, and it's just, your story is very powerful. So let's go into that and how, what you've gone through has kind of led you to where you are today and with your business and obviously your family and so on. Yeah. So the story that you're referring to is basically, um, I mean, the, the cliff notes version, kind of the the landmarks of it is I was, raised in a Christian house. Uh, my parents still don't drink. Like I could probably count on one hand, the times that I've seen my parents with any form of alcohol in their hands. And, um, you know, I grew up that way. Parents that loved me and cared for me, had everything I needed and most of what I wanted. And somewhere like my, like, uh, my belief systems were twisted. Like I needed to be the most recognized person in the room to feel valuable. That was like how, as a kid, I was raised. So early on, that was academics. You know, that was like, I I wanted to be the smartest, get the best grades, which looked good. It looked like I had great aspirations, but it was all for the wrong reasons, the wrong motives. And that spun out of control as I got older and older. Um, I married the the first girl who gave me attention, um, my first girlfriend, and, you know, got married at 20. And, you know, we did what we thought uh, was what you were supposed to do when you get married at 20 and 19. Um, my, you know, my, I remember today, my dad was like, maybe you should put it off a little bit. And mm-hmm. I remember telling him, hey, well, you got married at 20 and you know, like every kid does. And I, he didn't have any comebacks. He didn't have any arguments. <laughs> with it. Um, but yeah, I got married, did, you know, did the married life for a while. And, and it was, it was just, something was just always off the whole time. Right. Like, you know, I did care for her. And I think she cared for me. But what happened was we started to develop these habits based on my character defects and her character defects that were just very unhealthy. And, you know, long over the, the life of a nine or 10 year relationship, you know, we created really bad coping skills. We didn't talk about things. And eventually, you know, we drifted apart and found fell into a divorce situation where, uh, you know, we didn't connect and there wasn't a big there wasn't a relationship. Like we just coexisted together. We cohabitated a house and eventually we just drifted apart. Mm. And I didn't understand at that time that I, that if you didn't believe in something, then really you didn't believe in anything. Yeah. And I, at 30 years old, started hanging out in the bars as I got a divorce. And, you know, if you hang out with the kind of people that I was used to hanging out with in the construction world that were like my quote peers, Uh, If you're not careful, you'll find yourself in some really precarious situations with some substances that maybe you didn't intend on. And the the story of how I ended up getting addicted to methamphetamine is I switched seats in a truck and I can still tell you it was the green, the green label on pure leaf, unsweetened iced tea. We, we switched seats in a truck and I took hit, you know, like he was driving. It was a long road trip. We switch and don't switch drinks. And I took a drink of his and uh, he had methamphetamine in his iced tea and it was on. It was like somebody somebody hit a light switch or uh, just hit the awaken, spiritual awakening button in my life. And I remember 
Um, I remember in that time walking around and, and a lot of people can relate with this. Usually it's in junior high, but mine just happened to be in my thirties. I remember walking around where I just tucked my shoulders and my ears together, just waiting for that next hit, right? Like somebody was going to pick on me or something happened. And as soon as I took that drink and it, the, that, that drug hit my veins, I just took a collective exhale and felt whole for the first time. Wow. Um, that's why I call it a spiritual awakening. It was like, I could just breathe. And, and I went from being the most scared individual in life over from that time, fast forward a few months, I felt like every time I walked into a room, everybody around me was lucky that I was there. That was the shift that happened in that. And that's why I was addicted because it felt so good. Um, yeah. So that was July 3rd of 2013. I did drugs every day until December, uh, till September 30th of 2015, roughly two years and three months. Um, and I went from being somebody that was a business owner and had, you know, had, had some influence in life to basically completely bankrupt in every way, shape and form. I traded, uh, my house is foreclosed on, I cashed in retirements and investments because I needed to get that next high. I needed more money. And, I literally fast tracked my life to nothing. And that was a, it was, I didn't choose to get sober. I the, my, the story is I got arrested six times in seven months. Um, the, the last three of them were within 13 days of each other. And the attorney that I had at the time said, look, I can't keep you out of prison if you keep collecting charges. And I said, well, you know, what are the options to not go to prison. And he said, well, you can either go to rehab or you can go to prison. And, uh, and I chose, I chose rehab and not for the right reasons either. Um, I chose rehab because I heard there might be girls in rehab and, uh, and I hear there's not girls in a men's prison. <laughs> and, you know, and that was the selfishness that just had enveloped me. And, yeah. you know, so that's, that's the cliff notes version. I don't know huh, where you want me to drop into deeper, <laughs> um, but, I'm, but my, my story and this is, this goes back to that vulnerability. I think this is important. The moment that I realized that I had a story that people could hear and relate with. Yeah. And I, the more I shared it, the less anybody could use it as influencers or power over me. So the reason that I stand on my soapbox and say, listen, I got, I got off mess and you can do anything you can too, because there's a small percentage of people that overcome this disease. And I use the analogy of Eminem and eight mile when he stands up and says, my mom is that I am the kid from the tra trailer park. I did do those things. Yes. That is throw up on my shirt. Right. As soon as he did that, nobody had anything that they could use against him. And I, and I, I kind of relate to that. I've always walked around with that chip on my shoulder because I was the small kid. And I figured out, like I tapped into that ability to no longer let people use my addiction against me. And it's really become my greatest trump card in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, what you just said too. A lot of people, and a lot of people are are scared to tell their story, like you just did. But a lot of people can relate to you. I can relate to you in a lot of ways too. I didn't have a meth addiction, but I, I mean, growing up, I went to Christian school. Uh, you know, getting out of that, I wanted to be the baddest person, you know, around, I got a bunch of fights. I was always fighting. People were always calling me for fights on the beach, stuff like that. I was drinking. Um, you know, I actually got in a car accident, wrecked my truck with a, my friend in the passenger seat. Cause we were drunk as hell, you know? And, uh, 
or we were drinking and, uh, you know, I wasn't paying attention. Long story short, that was a big turning point. I went to jail and that, and that was a big turning point in my life because I should not have been alive. Mm. Uh, I shouldn't be here. And there's no way my truck without getting too detailed cliff note version without getting too detailed. My truck did a complete 180 over a small section of a guardrail. The only guardrail that was there that saved me from going into, we call them mangroves here, which are a bunch of trees underwater. And I would have hit all those trees. I would have died instantly and drowned. So, um, somebody was looking out for me and that was a big moment in my life, but I, I was married. I, I, I was married, uh, earlier on. My dad said the same thing. You sure about this one? Uh, so I relate (laughs) there (laughs) and, uh, that rung a bell to me. So I know exactly where you're coming from as far as the relationship, like you talked about, and uh i ended up getting a divorce because fell into the same stuff you did and it just was not good it wasn't good for me i was drinking we were you know separate she would go to bed early i would uh sit in a separate room and drink or invite a buddy over and have some drinks and it just was not a good thing so you know and and it, it created habits, like you said, too, that were not good for me, that were taking me off a certain path. I gained a lot of weight. I was just doing the wrong things all the time. I wasn't getting ahead. And and I had that shift, too, where uh, this was a few years ago where I said that enough is enough, got a divorce, and uh, met one of the best people of my in my life she's been truly i mean relationships are everything they can they yeah. can make her make or break you so those listeners out there if you're in a bad relationship take advice from keith and i and uh really think about it too it's easier said than done but we're not going to get into uh divorce uh, yeah. talk today yeah. but, but today but uh no, I mean, this, it's the re- that's what this podcast is. I mean, it's the real build. And I like telling people's journey so people get to know you too because you went through so much. And that's where it brought you to today with, you know, K&L and your fam- the family business and you making those changes and shifting them and, and getting better and then taking you being better into the family business and shifting the business into something better. So that's why I wanted to touch on your background. I can relate a lot. Family business. Now I'm I'm in the shift mode where we're changing quite a bit as well. Mm-hmm. So why, you know, obviously you grew up in it. You went through what you went through. Why did you choose to go into your family business? Is it because, you know, I, I always say on this show as well, like I had a love hate for construction. I grew up in it. I yeah. hated it, man. As a kid, I was a laborer. My dad, you know, and I'm sure your dad's the same. Didn't really give you anything, made you work for it, you know, and, and that's the way my old man was growing up. So I hated it, but I love it now and I have a lot of respect for it. So why did you choose to go into that path? Yeah. So the, the path for me was very selfish. Um, I am the same way. When I, if you had asked me in high school what I wanted to do, anything as far away from construction as humanly possible, that would have been my answer. I don't want to be my dad. I don't want to be around what he does. Um, I I can't stand it. I always thought that he was like planning the longest day of the week on Friday. Like I just in my mind for some reason I thought it was just like this mischievous plan to just make sure we got off late and tired on Friday. Oh yeah, um, and it wasn't. Um, but what what got me in the family business when I graduated high school? My plan was to go to trade school, get a you know get something where I could be a blue collar worker, and then pay for my way through 
through college. And specifically, I wanted to be a lawyer because I just love to argue. Like it's it's just natural. Like I'm I'm kind of divisive, a little bit abrupt. And I like pushing people's buttons. And and my attorney today is like, listen, you would be one of those guys that I would hate to to go at in a courtroom because like you're quick smart. He goes, there are people who are deeply intelligent, but they don't have the the quick wittedness to come back with something in a heartbeat. And that was my plan. Um, I did go to trade school. I got an HVAC degree and went to a little tech trade school down in Arizona. And the, the problem when I went to trade school was this. So I was making around $1,000 a week working for my dad in 2002, in the summer of 2002. I would go, um, I didn't, and the best part was I figured out a way not to have to work. So he said, here's gas money, here's flyers. If you go around and knock door to door and sell driveways with the flyers, then you don't have to pave the driveway and I'll pay you the same money I would if you did. Mm-hmm. So I was making $200 a day and I would go out and I would knock door to door and I would find something to pave mostly because I was lazy. Yeah. Mostly because I didn't want to have to stand on the pavement crew and work till six o'clock that night. I just wanted to show them what to do and leave. <laughs> and and so I, I fast forward to, you know, I moved to college in Arizona. Minimum wage is $4.25 an hour. I'm working a 12-hour shift overnight in college doing security for basically 50 bucks. And then they take taxes out of that. <laughs> and, and I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Why on earth would I like? So I, I tasted that entrepreneurial drug early. Like I got that bug early on. So I, I, I come home for um, one of the breaks and I said, dad, you know, I said I didn't want to do this business, but what would it take to buy part of it? Because I started doing the math. I've always been a numbers guy and I start adding up. I'm like, okay, well, if a lawyer makes a hundred grand a year, because 20 years ago, that's what they made. That was a good salary. And I'm like, if I spend 180,000 getting a degree, it's going to take me 11 years to pay it off. And holy crap, like it's going to be like 35 before I actually make any money. And I was like, well, if I can make $1,500 a week at 21 years old, and so I'm making 80 grand a year, and I start doing the math, I'm like, mm. who on earth would go become a lawyer? Because like at the end of the game, this is assuming you don't burn your life to the ground in your early, your late 20s and early 30s, where you cash everything in, uh, then you have way more at the end. And And for me, it was just a simple math decision. It was a little bit of laziness. I didn't want to go to college for you know, forever. And I came back and we, we established what would look like, you know, we would call it a buy sell agreement or like a partnership agreement. And it was pretty rudimentary and simple. Like basically you work for nothing for a couple of years. (laughs) You spend, you spend all of your extra money on buying equipment and I will, I will basically gift you half of the business. And so that's why I started. And then, you know, in the process there, I, you know, I got married and bought a house and, all those other pieces of it. But I came back simply because I ran the numbers and I didn't think that it was wise to go to college, you know, and that, and that's really why I started in, it didn't matter what business I was in. I, I was just going to take the first opportunity that came to me. And this just seemed like the least path of resistance. Cause I'm pretty lazy, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, I mean, I it, God, I can relate to you quite a bit, man. I I, I did the college <laughs> job too, where I got fifty bucks a night doing security, and it was horrible. To breaking up fights in bars and so on yeah. for fifty bucks. For fifty was, bucks. Yeah, it was yeah, awesome, right? <laughs> yeah, and you barely get by with that money, but um, very similar. Man came back and and was kind of lost and didn't really know what I wanted to do next, and that's how I got pulled into the family business as well was, uh, you know, I was going to actually get a job somewhere else over another coast in Miami. And my dad kind of sat me down and he's like, listen, go get your real estate license. Uh, you can work with me. Uh, I need somebody to help sell our, you know, sell. Yeah. Uh, and it was like a transition period for him. So it actually worked out perfect. And to this day, I mean, it's obviously gone hand in hand as well. And I'm very happy I made that choice and did not move to Miami. So, <laughs> so yeah, cause yeah. I, what I'd be in a whole different situation right now, I'm sure. But, um, that's awesome. It's just, it's crazy how life takes you and, and it's not, you know, it, I have a lot of respect for the construction business. Like you said too. I mean, it, I, I hated it like growing up, but me hating it and having to do all those things that I hated, uh, have put me to where I am and gave me that respect. I got another guy coming in Friday that we're going to hire and I'm going to tell, I'm going to be able to tell him, Hey, listen, I did what you did. And now I'm here, you know, this is where I started. I had to learn this. I had to do the odds. And I'm just, I, I, my dad was a Marine, so he would call it the grunt work, yeah. um, you know, and, and I had to do dig the ditches, all that kind of stuff as well. So that's where you have to start and work your way up also. So, yeah. you know, I get a lot of respect for that. So let's talk about K and L a little bit. Uh, just talk, talk about what you guys do. Uh, your processes and and kind of who you are as a company. Yeah, so KNL started in '84, the year I was born. My dad, my dad started it, and it was just a regular mom and pop shop. It actually started as a roofing company and a general contracting company. Like my dad would go, he would go pressure wash, um, cedar shake roofing because that was kind of the 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 general um, standard in the Portland metro area because, um, three tab and asphalt shingles were just after that phase out here. So he would go do pressure washing. And then my mom's family all does asphalt. Like literally every part of their family does asphalt. And they, they, uh, he saw what they made and was like, okay, well maybe I should, I mean, if they can do it, maybe I can do it. And so he started, I think it was 87 started to, he bought a little, um, it's actually a dump box that's electric that slides into the back of your pickup and you put some like, you know, 50 cent bolts, you drill a hole and then you just drop a bolt in and the sheet metal holds it onto the back of your truck. Super sketchy. <laughs> uh, but he, he bought that and started doing patching and 20 fast forward. I think the first paver they bought was like, uh, you know, 94, 95. And it was a 20 year old piece of junk. I mean, barely functioned. And, that's, that's, that's kind of the start. So humble beginnings. Um, what we do now, um, we we're we're an eight figure business. Uh, we're, you know, we caught, we, so since I got sober, we're, um, 11, we've, we've multiplied 11 times since I got sober in the last six years. Um, we have 26 employees. Um, you know, those are kind of the stats behind it. What we really believe 
is that we have an opportunity to be a second chance employer and transform the lives of the people that we get to touch. Um, I believe in paying it forward. Um, somebody took a chance on me when I didn't have a driver's license. I had a rough, I had a rough schedule because somebody had to drive me to treatment two or three days a week. Um, I also had court things. I had to call every morning to get random UAs for not just treatment, but for probation. So like any given day, I could be two or three hours late because I've got this or this or this to go to. Um, and I believe that, that it's my, my payback to society is to offer the opportunity for other people to be fully restored um, in that process. So we believe in, you know, in, in having open and honest communication about expectations. Um, I tell them, I tell the guys that we, that we interview that we say, Hey, listen, uh, your past doesn't dictate your future, but it doesn't free you of consequence either. Right. So like, if you, if, if you got a robbery charge on your record, I'm not going to say no to you working here, but I'm going to be very cautious about what I trust you with. Like you're going to have to earn that. Um, but we've had really good success. Um, you know, we have, we have some stories and we're going to start redoing them here soon where, um, the guys talk about who they are. Like we've watched people go from renting a house to sitting down and figuring out a financial process, actually buying a house, getting their kids back, um, finishing probation, uh, that they thought they would never get off. Um, you know, one guy was on probation for 25 years and, and he wow. got off while he was working for us. And he said, I, you know, I owe this to you. And I said, no, nah, I didn't do anything. Uh, and he goes, well, being around you guys, I saw what like real life could look like, you know, he was yeah. a career criminal and wow. he saw that this that industry, that business has an opportunity to transform your life. And that's where it kind of started. Like we, we realized that we have the ability to reach deep into people's lives, whether we know it or not. And asphalt is kind of an ugly, um, really hard blue collar job, but we figured out that if we could, if we could just offer hope that it became less ugly, right? Like if I can say, Hey, listen, this might be something that's kind of stinky and, and a little bit rough around the edges, but really you can provide your family for the pretty nice life here. Then we got to change what the, what the industry looked like from the outside. And, and that was, that was the beginning. It gets, it was a slow transformation though. It went from, yeah. you know, survival to actually like, we, we just spent two days planning what 2022 is going to look like talking about the messaging we're going to send out, what kind of people we're looking to recruit, you know, the financial goals, how we're going to change the people's lives with uh, a new mentoring program, an internal mentoring program and compensation programs. Like these are all things that I, when you talked to me six years ago, I was like, I just need to pay the bills. Yeah. And and now it's like we have we have processes, procedures, people. Um, we have we have a lot of people applying all the time. You know, I, I hear there's a labor shortage out there. Um, but if you craft your business to be something that people can buy into, that they can put their dreams underneath the the arching dream of your organization. I don't I think that it's not a labor problem. I think it's a leadership problem if you're having if you're having employee issues. Um, but these are, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the 30,000 foot view. Um, I, in that business, um, I am the head of operations and I kind of oversee also the sales and the, uh, from a management level, I oversee the entire company. Um, my mom actually works underneath me in the finance department. She's the head of finance, but she is my direct, you know, she di directly reports to me which is an interesting dynamic. <laughs> um, and then we have, we have a sales manager that also is 
um, somebody that I manage, but I'm working on kind of trying to craft a vision where we can, where we can use these guys that have, that have learned how to live and not just offer them a job, but offer them a future. That's the next phase of KNL. Yeah. I, it's amazing what you're doing because with the second chance employer, uh, and I saw that on your website too, a lot of businesses, I mean, and I'm guilty of this too, is when you're hiring, you're like, okay, have a felony, have a misdemeanor, you know, any criminal record, we don't want to hire you, but you're taking it to a different level and saying, okay, we're going to hire you. We're going to mentor you. And then we're going to change your life, which yeah. is, which is a huge thing because, because that's rare. I mean, that's rare yeah. in any business because every business is worried about hiring somebody with a criminal record. Yeah. You know, I came across a guy that applied that had a petty theft thing. And they're all of a sudden you, you have those assumptions jump in your head of, okay, what's this guy going to steal tools where, you know, you look at his past record of where he worked on his resume and it's like, okay, it was all construction companies. What do you get caught stealing? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's like, and why is he looking for another job when he just had one? Were they the ones that call the cops on him? So you start thinking this and then you're like, eh, he's to the side. I don't think yeah. I'm going to give him a call too. you know, you're scanning their Facebooks and it's just, it, it's impressive what you're doing and what you said, you think it's a leadership problem, you know, with all these companies having hiring issues, which I starting to agree with you. Um, you know, because a lot of, like I said, it's a mindset thing with companies too. Okay. These people have, are in and out of prison. They, they're in and out of probation or uh, often on probation because they don't get opportunity to keep them busy, you know, mm -hmm. and work for a company like yourself. So, I mean, that's amazing. The second chance employer, um, how many employees do you exactly have that are, are every one of your employees kind of like that? Or what's that no. process look like? We've got about, so of the 26 people, um, there's, I mean, rough numbers, just probably 50 to 60% are second chance. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's, there are some people that, you know, that, that have applied because they want to do something or they've, you know, they had experience in this industry in another place, but well over half, 50, 60% of our entire organization is people that, wow. you know, have multiple arrests or at very, at very least been on probation. Yeah. I mean, that's what's in construction in the construction industry. There's so much, uh, you know, there's so much of that. There's so many, yeah. you brushed on it at the, in the beginning too, is, yeah, you know, you, you worry about your hires and, you know, who they are, what they are, if they're, you know, drug at, have drug addictions or if yeah. they're uh, alcoholics or if they're going to show up or if they're going to call out on Monday because they're hungover from Sunday or if they're going to yeah. call out on Friday because they're ready for the weekend. You know, it's just that's our industry. And what you're doing is you're completely altering that and giving people a path and mentoring them too, which is rare. I, I mean, I got a lot of respect for you on that. And it's making me think too, okay, maybe some of these hires that are coming in for us, you know, starter positions, give them a shot, you know, give them an interview and then talk about the culture rather than worry about the felony or the misdemeanor that they might've had or them stealing you know, a work truck or something. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. What, so the kind of the, some of the, the things, the shifts in mentality that we've used in the second chance employer idea is so rather than asking them about, about the arrest or the thing, the check mark, whatever it is that you can see on their record that's there. Yeah. Uh, say, 
what were you feeling when you went through that? Right. Like, so what I'm, what I'm looking for is to identify with them as an individual and as human and say, talk to me about what, what was going on in your life that made whatever you did necessary. Wow. It's, it's just a different way of asking the question because they're going to look, usually they look surprised and say, well, what do you mean? I'm like, okay. So if you have a, let's use the example of petty theft, what was going on in your life that you needed to steal that? Like, was, was it something, you know, were you trying to feed your kids? Was it something that like, you know, was there an emergency in your life in which you, you, you were so desperate, you were willing to, to cross lines that maybe you wouldn't have been, had you been able to actually pay your bills? Or was it something that you just didn't like the person and you were in a bad mental state and you, you did something that if you had been in a healthy mental state, you might not have done. Like I'm looking for those decisions. I want to understand yeah. the decision behind what the check mark is on your record. You know, my, all of mine, if you looked at all of mine, um, all of my check marks, they're DUIs, possession charges, things, and they all relate to me feeling worthless. Mm. Right. So if I can understand the feeling, if I can identify with you as a human or as an individual, then we have a platform to change the direction of your decision making going forward. And I understand what makes you desperate. So if I know that when, you know, if you, did, if you couldn't feed your kids or your dad, your parents had cancer and you were doing, you were selling everything and you didn't even have tools to go to work because you hawked them. Okay. Well, I understand that. I get, doesn't mean I would do it today, but I understand why you would do it. And now we can talk about, okay, how do we change that? Next time you get in that situation, is there a way that you could not steal that? Or you could not do those things, mm -hmm. right? I'm just, I want to understand like, and, and it's a, it's a unique train of thought to go deeper than, yeah. oh, you have a couple of rests here. What are those about? <laughs> right. But, but it's really about if you want to cast a vision for your business to change the lives of those around you, you have to, people want three things in life. It's very simple. And they want to feel seen, heard, and valued. Those are the three things people want. And if you can see them and you can hear them about what they were doing, then they feel valued. Right. And that's, that's really what it is. Like, I'm just asking questions to say, Hey, I got a pass too. Um, I got six arrests. I mean, I'll show you mine. It doesn't matter. Uh, and actually this month I'm going in to, to get those expunged. They're always going to be a part of me, but like, I want to be able to do certain things that I can't do right now. Um, but it's just that next level of, you know, Andy, Ed Milat talks about that one more. What's that one more question that I would like to ask somebody that maybe I could have that deeper impact. Yeah. Right. If, if I look at me as an employer, as a service item, as opposed to something that's offering a chance to someone, then it changes the way that I view my business. And it also gives a mission to the movement we make. Wow. That's, you know, that's, it's that like, okay, let's make intentional movement inside our little construction business in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Wow. I, I, this is, this is awesome because I mean, you don't think this way when hiring, you just instantly go to the record. You instantly go to the criteria or the past, what they've done, so on too. And that's the problem I think with a lot of businesses and with the system in general is what you're saying, because nobody's thinking like you're doing, but they're not listening. The biggest thing is to listen. And I think what uh, just off of what you said too, is, you know, these people, nobody listens to them. Nobody hears and asks those questions that you're asking and, 
and I think they just want to be heard too. And that's been a problem of why they've gone through and faced the things in their lives and reflecting back on you and I, and what we've gone through too, you know, we probably wanted to be heard or, you know, or just were something was off mm-hmm. obviously. And now we've come a long way since then, but not everybody has. And, and yeah, by you going into an interview, it's probably a shock to them because it's probably like, you know, what, what, what the heck is going on here? This guy's asking me these questions that I've never even been asked or approached by. That's yeah. a difference maker. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Cause what I, I truly believe that if you're going to use your, your business as a vessel to transform the world, then you got to do things different than people have always done. Right. And, and you and I, I mean, being young, dumb uh, males, we did things that we should have been arrested for many times. Mm. Right. Uh, I I can remember the first time I went over a hundred, it was on a, it was in a speeding, it was in a zone that was a 35 mile an hour area. Right. Like if you get caught driving like that, you instantly go to jail. Well, there's, there's, there's (laughs) one, I was 16 years old. Right. So if, if we're really honest about where we are, like we all deserve those. The difference is like, what is the grace that we receive from the people around us, our parents, maybe it's law enforcement that allows us to not have that check mark on our record. And more specifically, what we've found is that most of the men that work construction don't have dads. Like if you were to, to line the 17 guys that are in my production portion of my business, my operations portion up, there are maybe one or two of them that have an actual father that they speak to. So what we figured out is, well, when you're scared, what do you do? If you don't have an example for living, then you do things that you see on movies or that look tough or that really it's all about ego. Like I got to get bigger than you or scarier than you or submit to you in those situations. So what we're trying to do is trying to like, we, one of the, some of the guys ask me, they're like, why do you let people fight at work? I'm like, well, hold on. Let's, let's define fight. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, we, we draw a line at name calling. Like we don't, we don't call each other names. We don't use racial epithets and we don't touch each other. If you say, I feel you're the laziest person here and I don't like your face. Okay, good. At least we know where we stand, right? Let them give, give them a couple of days. And then I will talk to each one of them individually and say, what could you own in the situation that got you to feeling like that? Not what they did. Let's not, I'm not, we're talking about you. What are you, what are you going to own when you go to, to, you know, mend the fences, so to speak, because we spend more time with each other than we do with our significant others. Yeah. What are you going to own and bring to that conversation as an offering, as a, as an olive branch, so to speak, to mend the fences? Like it's literally like parenting. You have to talk these people through their feelings, their emotions, and the fact that, that forgiveness is not for them. Like you have to learn to forgive and forgiveness is looking you in the mirror saying, I forgive you. And because I forgive you, I need to forgive them because I'm the same person as them. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like this psycho, this weird psychological jungle that we're, that we're going through. And people are like, isn't it uncomfortable when people yell and scream at each other? And I'm like, yeah, but the reason that we're in the culture that we're in today is because nobody says what they're actually feeling or thinking. 
No. So I, I do encourage it. It does get a little dicey sometimes. <laughs> and it, but when like, if a customer says, Hey, those guys are getting into it. I'm like, yeah, they don't understand how to have regular conversations that give me a couple of years. And they'll probably be the most composed individual that you've ever met, but they're not there yet. And neither of them are. And they're like, but you know exactly what's going on. I said, yeah, I got a pretty good handle on what's going on out here. You know, it does, it doesn't scare me. And if I can explain to the observe uh, the observers, what's happening, they're not scared of it either, right? It's not intimidating to people if somebody's yelling and screaming. If you say, hey, that's the best way they know how to fight right now, I'll work with both of them. And in about an hour, you'll see both of those guys laughing, standing with each other. And, you know, and that's amazing to people because they run from that conflict. If yeah. you embrace the conflict and you understand that, like, that, that old school mindset versus, like, we are feeling-based. We're very feeling-based society. So that means we have to embrace the feelings and then figure out how to digest them and use them for something that's productive. Otherwise, we're just going to put walls. I, I use the analogy of, of uh, obstructions or fights as a brick. So every time you use a, you have one, you have two options. Either you can build something that's really cool to look at, or you can separate yourself from the world. Right. Like if you're protecting yourself, it's like you're placing a brick around you every time you do that. And eventually you got a wall so high that nobody can get in and you can't get out. But each time that you have an, you know, an altercation and the and you have that moment, you can either you could build the Taj Mahal out of this stuff, too. You could say, OK, I'm going to be purposeful with this experience. and I'm going to set it over here and I'm going to do it in a way that actually builds me up. I'm going to build the foundation. I'm going to build the stairs. I'm going to build me a cool bedroom. I'm going to build her a cool bedroom. Uh, or I'm going to put it up where I'm completely alone and isolated, right? Like you have a choice. You have a conscious choice. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to impact the people around you? Or are you going to be selfish and self-centered and you're going to cut yourself off? Like you have that choice at the end of every argument. And really what it does, it starts teaching people things that you should learn in like third grade. <laughs> right like these are these are very basic things but they're not taught right it's that, that idea of participation trophies I, I don't want to get it too much into politics but like if you tell a kid that them feeling things and being sad or happy is the end result of that experience you've stopped short and you've stolen the life the ability for that kid to live regular life yeah you, yes, participation is important, but understanding that America is 99% losers is also important. The 1% are the only people who were tough enough to get up after they lost and do it over and over and over again until they finally figured out how to win. You know, that's, that's the difference. And that's what we talk about. We talk about that a lot. They're like, hey, how do you, how do you get up every day and know that you got to come out here and deal with us? And I said, because I am you, yeah. I'm the same guy. The only difference is, is that six and a half years ago, I was so desperate to, for someone to tell me that maybe like my first spiritual experience shouldn't be drugs. Maybe it should just be like, try to not break the law, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but somebody took the time to like invest in me and tell me, Hey, when somebody fights with you, it's because they believe what they're arguing with you about. It's their preference. It doesn't mean it's the truth. Yeah. Okay. All right. I can follow that logic, but it's, it's really about mentoring those and impacting people around you is in any way you can. And sometimes it's like, Hey, that guy is not going to listen. Maybe you shouldn't have that argument with him or that conversation, right? They're not there yet.
Like let, let them get a little more lonely until they're more desperate. And then they might listen to what somebody else has to say. I mean, what you said is so powerful because people, people do run from conflict. They don't want to deal with it. And going back to, we were taught at a young age, how to deal with conflict, do the right thing and so on. But it just, it leaves us over time. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy to think about what you just said. And this goes back, this goes even into communicating with customers. And and that's what I was, cause you know, we're at first we're just, all right, this, it is, it's the way, and a lot of business owners are guilty of it is it's the way it is. Sorry. You don't like it too bad. But if yeah. you shift that mindset to actually listening to the client, listening to their problem, and then discussing, okay, how we can resolve it. So once once I made that shift with customers, like, you know, my fiance works with me and she she just is like, I don't know how you do it. You know, like you are, and I, I basically call myself a psychiatrist, with, especially in the business world today, with yeah. dealing with subcontractors and all that with price increases and customers calling me and so on. She's just like, I don't know how you do it. Like every time you talk to them, they all call me because they all, you know, want to talk about an issue and I can resolve that issue. And I've, I've figured out just by listening to them. But then kind of getting on their level and and I with people, it's just weird. People operate differently. You communicate differently with different clients too. Yeah. And I've figured out how to do that and how to kind of get on their level of how they want to be spoken to as yeah. well. You know, you you can't speak to everybody the same way. Uh, you know, some a yeah. guy from New Jersey is gonna be different from a lady from the Midwest somewhere, you know. Yeah. I, I'm it's just a whole different client and being able to talk to that client in a way that they respect you and actually value your opinion goes a long way. Just like you said with employees too. But when, you know, sometimes you have to step back, I'm not a big believer in emailing because I think emailing comes off the wrong way. I'm a big yeah. believer in emailing after I have a conversation yeah. with them just to confirm yeah, it's a review. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just to review what we spoke about here. Here's a yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Because that's a problem too with a lot of people in communicating is you know they just go direct to the messages, the emails, the texts, yeah. and and it always comes off the wrong way. I don't care. I you know look you at us as a, yeah 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 you can't read tone in an email no exactly. like they can't feel like what we talked about. They want three things. They want to feel seen, heard, and valued. Mm -hmm. And if they have a, if they have a, a bite back or like a comeback to some charge that you're, that you've included in your email, there's no valuing or seeing them or hearing their objection to that, to that thing. If you just post it out there, right. That's like, I call it the Facebook symptom. Yeah. Like we just get to, we just get to put our opinions out there so that all these people that we don't like can hear us. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay well what did that do it didn't teach anybody anything because nobody heard anything right we just saw that okay he's got a really abrasive opinion and he wants to be telling me what to think okay we well, nobody learned anything in that situation that i what you're talking about i call it framing the conversation so you have and and, it, and it's deeper than just like hey a customer calls with a problem you have to understand the capacity of the people like i call it the fit listener mentality or the fit speaker so if somebody's not a fit listener 
You better not share things with them that are deeper than they have the capacity to understand or hold. And as well, if you're the emotionally mature one in that situation, you have to be the fit speaker or listener because you have to be able to pull things out that they're not saying. Like if somebody says, hey, can you know, this is a construction analogy. Hey, I was noticing you have your tractor here, your skids here. Would you could you pull that tree out? A great example of how to frame that conversation is one of the guys, if one of if one of the customers asks one of the guys on the crew, can you pull that tree out? And the answer is, yeah, we could pull that tree out. Well, what you've done is you've implied something that you don't know you've implied in the communication process. Framing the conversation would look like this. Hey, could, could you guys pull that tree out with your tractor? Yeah, I'd love to have the salesman write you up a price on doing that. Something. Right. Like I have managed the, the customer's expectation by the way that I've responded. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's about creating the framework in which you're going to be successful having that conversation yeah. as opposed to, you know, somebody says, Hey, can you pull that tree out? Yeah. Which is okay. Well, there's yeah. A, yeah. There's a <laughs> lot of unspoken. What are we going to do with the tree? Who's responsible for the tree? Is it actually something you want us to do? And then if it's not in the work order or the, the contract, we probably should have a conversation about that. Because what if there's lines or something underneath the tree that we're going to rip too? Yeah. Right? Like, there's so many, and this is just a, a simple construction analogy, but framing the conversation goes like two or three steps farther. You know, understanding is that person in a mental state to actually take the information that they've asked for and do something with it? Or are they just curious about the process? Right? Right. Uh, it's it, you have to really think about how you respond to people. And I think what you're talking about with dealing with customers is just doing that. Yeah. Saying, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I wish that we didn't have these 17% increases literally across the board, but the reality is inflation's up. Everything's up. Supply chains are cut off. And I, I don't really have control over any of those things. Yeah. You know, gas has doubled in the last year. Again, I don't have control over that. I go to the gas station just like you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to framing too, and I kind of say it as, you know, setting that expectation up front. I've talked about this multiple times on the show, especially in now in today's day and age, how important that is dealing with clients is when you go into that initial meeting with the client, they need to know that things are going to change. Costs are going up. They could go down. That may benefit the client as well. Uh, You know, but things are constantly changing. We're getting I'm getting calls every single week from my dirt guy or this person or that person that, you know, you just, we don't know the elements of construction right now are all through all scattered all over the place. I, I, you know, we, jobs are delayed because we can't get rebar right now on certain ones and concrete's backed up and there's just in, by setting that ex- expectation up front, I've had contracts that I got signed six months ago and we haven't even broke ground. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's insane. And that never used to happen. And I get people that call, you know, and, and they've all been great, you know, believe it or not, because of that framed out, set that expectation from the beginning, you know, they'll call, they'll check in any, any word on the trusses, you know, what's going on. I told you 16 weeks usually is that's what they're taking now. Just to get the drawings. <laughs> yeah. 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 You did. So how was your Christmas? You know, and then it goes into a conversation and, uh, uh, just, you know, we talk and yeah, I'll let you know when I get an update or whatever, but that's also doing those weekly emails or updates to them too. Yeah. Just be like, we're in the same situation. 
nothing's changed and not leaving things stagnant. And I had Tom Reber was on my, uh, one of my episodes and he talked about that is just not having that stagnant gap between jobs and just constantly at least dropping something in just a little tidbit. Hey, hope all is well. Here's where we're at. Same thing. Nothing's changed or that's at the architect or just so they know, because I mean, we're in different times. We're in a different world and people know they see it on TV, but still as contractors, we have to, we have to frame that. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they don't they don't sometimes translate what's happening in the real world to what's happening in the construction world. They think they're somehow separate. Yeah, yeah, it, it's baffling <laughs> to me. And and we we see it, I think, in the construction world more than anybody, even more than what they're seeing on TV, because we're dealing with all the materials and the shortages yeah. and stuff. We're not just dealing with what's in the grocery store. We're dealing yeah. with actually build products that people are, you know, that are going to a lot of different things. And we know the yeah. delays and, and I've gotten to the point where I, I'm telling my subcontractors, I need proof of raises, any raises you got. I want a proof. I want a document. I want something. You can't just yeah. be like, well, this electrical conduit went up, uh, you know, 5% and the yeah. copper wire went up 15. All right. Give me something that says that because yeah. yeah. you're the not the one. is different. I'll have, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. And I always tell them, you're not the one dealing with the client. I am. And if I was building you a house and slept, you know, slapped a 15% increase on you, how would you feel? Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I don't know if I'd like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) And I think you're touching on something too. Like, you know, let's talk about the economy, you know, a little bit about the economy in construction. We have a unique ability to touch manufacturing you know, not just inter- like in that internationally, but also domestic. You're talking about, you know, or you're talking about mining. I mean, you, you touch all of the aspect technology. Like I'm, I'm waiting on a paper that I ordered last April that um, Kevin Gray is ordering the same one or he got a price on it. It's $60,000 difference for the same thing from wow. April to today. Right. But I ordered it in April. They told me that it'd probably be done in like six or eight weeks and it would be delivered, but they're still waiting on something. Mm-hmm. Like it hasn't been delivered yet. 60 grand difference for the same thing, eight months apart. Right. Like that's in, that's domestic manufacturing. That thing is made in Iowa yeah. and everything is going up. Steel's going up. You know, I mean, you've got pilings and stuff that you're putting in the ground, rebar, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things that we touch. And we're probably one of the, you know, the, an interesting, uh, market because we touch all of those things and we have a gross amount of labor. So inflation affects our labor costs like greatly. It'd be just, a, you know, it starts going up. We're like, okay, another dollar, another $2 an hour for everybody. Cause if you can't get to work, I can't expect you to come to work. Right. Yeah. If you don't have those, the dollars, it's just, it's an interesting place that we have found ourselves in, but ultra clear communication makes it easier for other people to swallow. Right. And I, I call it the, uh, like that spoonful of sugar idea. They're never going to take the whole bag. Right. But if you spoon feed them a little at a time, like just those once a week updates, what it does is it takes them from going and shopping somewhere else or harboring a resentment because you're not communicating. And it makes you, it allows you to manage the situation and, and frame the conversation in the way that you look like the hero. Mm-hmm. Right. It's really about how you choose to display yourself, not just to the customer, but to your employees and to the world. 
you know, and that, and that's a, like, I don't think enough people really think about how am I being framed to the world with how I communicate and how I carry myself, right? The subcontractor that just sends you a bill and says, by the way, everything's up 15%. Okay. If my experience with you would be different, if you said, Hey, Bill, I really am. I was going to send you this. I'm going to follow this up with a phone call real quick, but I wanted to show you the invoices that, that I just got that were too different. This one's from the 16th of November, and this is my next month. And it's literally, the, you can see the unit price on there. It's gone up 15%. I was wondering if there was any way that, you know, that we could have a conversation about covering that, that up charge yeah, yeah, that really is, is not either of our fault, but I know the customer is going to get upset about Right. If they sent I you wish that, that would happen. Yeah. But if they sent you that on the front end, would you even have to have a conversation? No. Right. Like, but they don't understand that. You don't want to have to call them and say, Hey, I'm the bearer of bad news. I need some documentation of this. Like they could change it on their end and they wouldn't have any pushback likely. I mean, there probably would be some people, but most of the time they're going to get farther if they just manage it better. If they have the conversation and it goes in that besides it goes back to the subcontractor. And I told that specific, I had a $6,000 increase on a stucco bill, you know? And I was like, what, you know, and we already signed the bid prior and I get it. Materials have gone up. I call the guy and I say, Hey, you know why I'm calling you? He goes, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you cannot just slap that much of an increase on me. I go, I get it. And you have that conversation with the subs. Cause you know, you, you got to obviously be nice to them and loyal to them. Yeah. You know, they do great work. And I was like, listen, I said the same thing I said to you. I said, if I, if I was building you a house, how would you feel with that? So you're going to have to work with me on this. And for now on, I want the documentation since he sent me two documents of increases already. And that was within a month and a half. Yeah. I'm like, Great. But at least I know to kind yeah. of get ahead of it. But he also worked with me on that cost. I said, listen, you got a lot of our upcoming projects. More than likely, you're going to be doing them. So, you know, to keep this relationship going and at a good place, you're going to have to work with me on this because guess who has to call the customer about this? Yeah. You know, six grand, six grand. I mean, in the scheme of these multi-million dollar houses may seem like nothing to you, but it's always something. Yeah. Yeah, All 50 trades bumping up that much. We're talking an extra million bucks. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, you know, in a heartbeat. Yeah, I have a builder I'm building for. I, I mean, I got a line line of email. I still have to answer his email because I'm trying to sc- get all these different costs and what's coming up. But I have a builder that's constantly asking me what we got for increases, this and that. And in yeah. my mind, I could be like, dude, you're a builder. Like, you know what's going on more than anybody. You do what we do. Yeah. But instead, I'm, you know, okay, let me go through everything, assess the situation, call him after I send that email, which I'm going to do today, and just address, okay, this is what happened. This is where a painter's at. This is what's coming up. This may have been a little more your aluminum railings because aluminum prices have gone up, uh, you know, so this is what you can expect. And usually those conversations go well, uh, if he he gets a little snappy and then, you know, I'll just kind of sit back and say, I'm sorry, you're in the, you're in the business. Got to throw that out there. Uh, So you're dealing, I could do something about this. I would. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's just, it's the situation we're in. It's unfortunate. And uh, uh, hopefully everything starts coming back down again as people are getting back to work, but we don't know, we don't have a crystal ball. So it's, it's not as simple as people make it. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. But anyway, I wanted to get into family business and stuff, but we're coming short in on time or short on time here. I, I think this conversation went even better than just diving into the family business for all yeah. that. Listen, we're both in family business. I was going to discuss the pros and cons, but I'll probably just have to have Keith on again uh, to go through that. Uh, to wrap this show up, I always like to ask these questions. So my favorite one here is what about you personally? Uh, you're, you're help building amazing company, uh, that continues to grow each and every day. What lessons have you learned throughout your journey that we should all apply to our own business or our own lives that can help us grow? So the, one of the, one of the, things that I wish somebody would have told me is that just because you think something doesn't mean it's true. Um, I, I really believe that the ceiling of my life was created in between my ears and that the, that all I did was remove that thought. I just took that thought of saying, I can't be something or I couldn't be better or I couldn't accomplish something out. Um, I use the, the analogy of ultra running because um, I run ultras now. I'm a 240 pound dude that that runs uh, as many miles as people can think of. The longest one I've done is a 50 miler. Um, and wow. you know, and the crazy thing is, people don't talk about what number you finished. I finished dead last, dead last. I was the last person to cross the finish line, and there was nobody there. And they took the finish line down as soon as I crossed it. Right, but I finished that race. Mm-hmm. And I don't look like what you, you know, I'm not six foot six and 140 pounds. You know, I'm a five foot 11, just monster of a 240 pound dude that I'm out there running with these guys that are, you know, that are in great shape. But what it does for me is it allows me to remove those ideas and those internal objections for what my life could be. Uh, I didn't realize that I had those and that most people's objections or like ceilings in their life are something that you created for yourself. Believe in yourself because until you do, nobody else will. I love that, man. It's true. I, it's very true because there's, we, I don't think we all know what we're capable of, to be honest. No. I, don't, I don't think we've even scratched the surface. And there's so many different things that, you know, the 50 mile, I mean, that's insane. I, I can't, I don't, well, see, I say I can't, but obviously I probably can. That's the yeah. capable thing right yeah. there. It's like, I've probably done two miles, you know, that's, that's kind of my, my thing, especially yeah. in the Florida sun, but it's like, you just don't know until you do it and you did it. And that's, yeah. I, I, and I, the crazy part, this is what I tell people are like, how'd you start running? You know, my knees are bad. My, no, you've got, you've created this for yourself. You can also fix it. The human body is one of the most amazing things that that's out there, but I couldn't run a mile. Uh, and when I started running, and this is a quick story. I had someone drive me a mile away so that I couldn't be lazy and turn around. Like I had someone drive me and drop me off a mile and then they drive me and drop me off two miles and then three miles and then four miles. And eventually I got like w- where my parents live, which is where I was living when I started running the it's five miles around their country block. Like if you go out and go right, 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 right. And you get back to their house, it's five miles. So I had to work on getting to be able to run that whole thing without, without stopping. And it took me a long time. And now I'll go run like Saturday. I ran 16, 17 miles and it was 3,500 feet of gain. So I'm going over some big Hills, 
getting, getting up this, but it, what it does for me is it allows me to remove all those roadblocks. Mm. Like I can, what is possible? My next one, you know, I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I would love to run a hundred miler. Wow. You know, just to, just to experience it just because I don't know if I could, right. I don't know if I could, but I'm going to certainly try. Yeah. I mean, that's like, goes back to, I don't know if you read David Goggins book and I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll leave it at this, but I, I, I listened to it, uh, the audio version. I remember I was running and it was at the part where he just, it was mind over matter. Stop thinking about it. Whatever you do, just, you can push through anything. I remember like listening to it and I'm just running and I'm like, yeah. And you know, on agreeing with what he's saying. And all of a sudden I looked down when I got home and I ran like almost three miles and I'm like, you know, without that and getting that yeah. mindset, I usually would only probably cap it at like a mile and a half, you know, and yeah. I'm just like, Oh, that's enough, you know, but it's that's that much. shift. Yeah. You know, you just don't know what you have in you until you push it and your mind's yeah. telling you, you can't do it, but you really get just past that voice in your head and you can do it. Absolutely. It's crazy, man. That's crazy. Another question I like to ask is most people ask about your, your, you know, your past. What about your future? Where will we see Keith Callaway Jr.? uh, Let's say 10, 15, 20 years from now, who will you be? So my, one of my big like bucket list items is to, to, to touch as many people as possible. Um, I want to be able to share my story because I don't, I don't think there are enough stories about people overcoming huge things in their life that anybody could relate with. And what I like, I want to tell my story on big platforms. Mm. I want to, I want to be able to, to, you know, if there are stages, if there are places where people can gather, you know, when COVID is finally kind of done, I live in the people's Republic of Oregon and we can't do that stuff yet. Uh, Florida's a little whole different. Opposite. <laughs> yeah. Whole new um, world down here. Yeah. It's a whole, it's the wild, wild west of yeah. the East. Um, you know, I, w- I would like to be able to tell that story to say, Hey, listen, you know, what got me to doing drugs is the exact same feeling you feel when you're feeling inadequate and sharing that in a place where I can relate to business people, to kids, to, you know, just your everyday, everyday folks, maybe it's at church, maybe, I don't know where, I just want to be able to tell my story and give those people hope, right? Because what, what you were talking about earlier, when I was doing drugs, I, the neighbors started this Facebook group that talked about like the neighborhood I lived in. And all I wanted someone to do is to come tell me that, that they see me and that I was valuable. And then if I needed some help that, that I could get it. I just wanted someone to look at me and tell me that I had some value. And I want, and that's why I try to do what I try to do with the people that I interact with. So my future is showing those people that they have value and telling them that they don't have to live that way, that there is an opportunity to change. And there's all these big things. Um, another thing on my bucket list is I want to be a dad. If 10, 15 years down the road, somehow, I don't know how it's going to look. Um, you know, we've been, we've been searching out what our family is going to look like. And, you know, we had adoption and we international adoption and there's all these doors that look like they're closing. And I have full faith that God's closing the ones that he doesn't want us to go through. And then some, like, I'm going to find the one that's easy, easy to open, but I'm going to be a dad in 10 or 15 years. There's going to be some child that calls me dad. Um, and then, you know, business wise, I think, I think, you know, k is going to be around. I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I'm hoping that there's somebody that comes up that's ex- as excited about changing the world as I am that can come in and kind of learn and mentor from me about what my dad did for me. And I could, I could carry that forward. So. 
Love it, man. It's, I have no doubt. And I have no doubt you're going to do all those things and, and having you on this show too. Like I said, this show is completely off script. It always is. I always tell you, it's just a conversation. <laughs> I send the notes ahead of hand and we just go, we went fully off script for whoever, whoever's listening. That's usually how it goes. Cause we see where this conversation goes. And this has been amazing too. A new question, and I wanted to ask this too, because I actually shout out that my let's podcast. I heard him ask this is, is there something that we didn't cover in this interview that you think we should, we should talk about right now? And if, if there is, what would it be? That question stood out to me. I was like, wow, that was pretty good. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, this is kind of a, a quasi throw out. Uh, like a, you know, it's a cop out answer. If you don't believe, so like, if you want to achieve anything in life and I'm, you guys can connect with me connect with Bill about this. Like you have to have a belief in something bigger than you. Mm. The idea that, that you are the pinnacle of human creation. And I would call that if you, if you're not right sized and you don't understand that, that there's a bigger being a God in this world that, that, that created you for something great then ask somebody about how they feel about God. Because until I understood that I wasn't the top, I didn't realize that there was a top, mm. right? If I, if in my addiction, if the guy that was so scared of everybody because I wasn't dependent on, a, on, on God, I was, uh, I call it the, out of the right size pyramid. So if I'm the, if I'm the pinnacle, then there is no hope for the world. Now I understand that I'm like two, three, four, five rungs down. I understand that there's, you know, there's a lot of people that are better than me. And then there's a lot of things that are above me and it gives me hope because I still have places to go. Mm. And if you don't believe that there's something bigger, I, I first believed that meth or drugs were the things that were bigger than me. And then it slowly developed in this educational experience that now I believe that God is behind all of those things. Cause I should have been dead I should have been in, I should be in prison. I deserve to be in a concrete box, but I'm not. And nothing that I have accomplished is realized if I don't believe that there is God and that he is there for me. So it's just the wind behind the sail. <laughs> it's amen to that. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's true. When you start really focusing on that, you know, you have something to work for, you have something to climb up to and be better yourself. It changes everything because so many people are kind of just stuck where they're at and they're just complacent where they're at too. But I mean, you ask, I'm big on with God too. You ask, you receive, you got to yeah. ask though. And yeah. not a lot of people are asking the right questions to God yeah. either, Yeah, you know, and the bigger the ask, the more God's going to come through. It might take time. You might yeah. have to prove yourself to get there, but you've got to ask. You, you have to ask. So amen to that, man. I love that. Last question, what this show is all about. What exactly do people need to look for when hiring a pavement contractor and why should they choose Keith Calloway Jr. and K&L Industries as their go-to pavement contractor of choice? It is real. When you're hiring anybody, it's all about trust. It is all, every, every decision you make in the contracting world and most decisions you make outside of the contracting world are about trust. If you can trust the person you're looking at, I would say go for it. If you trust me more than the next guy, if you trust one of my competitors more than you trust me, then I would say go with my competitor. I'd be the first one to tell you that. Because if you don't trust me, I don't want you to spend your money with me. 
And, and you should understand that if you can trust someone, do business with them, have those open and honest conversations. And if you can't have that open and honest conversation, don't spend your money there. Like if you if you get that feeling in your gut where you're like, if this goes sideways, what's going to happen? That is that is an indicator that you shouldn't be there. Don't do it. <laughs> well, I love it, man. Well, yeah, I 100%. I agree. It's it's just yeah. It, and this has been awesome, Keith. Man, it, like I said, we went this. The conversation was great, and and I'd love to have you on again because we were going to talk. We were going to talk, talk about, about family business, <laughs> but we went. The, I actually like this direction way better because this will help a lot of people. I got a lot of people, contractors that listen to this, and also clients that listen to it too. And it gives everybody a perspective. That's what the yeah. show's all about, and and it's just the real build and tr- showing people what to look for in these industries, whether you're a contractor or your actual client purchasing something. Yeah. So, cool. last thing, where can people find and connect with you? Uh, every every major platform. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I think I have a Twitter. I don't use the Twitter much. <laughs> <Neither do> I. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think there's one there. But it's it's at Keith Callaway Jr. K E I T H Callaway is just like the the golf club C A L L A W A Y and Junior after that. On on each one of those, it's all the same. Love it, brother. I appreciate your time today. Uh, this was awesome. Like I said, I can't say that enough. So thank you. Thank you for out. having me. I appreciate the conversation. And, you know, it's nice to talk to a regular human being. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, brother. And uh, for all you guys that listen, obviously, you know the routine. I only ask for a couple of things. And that is you like this on iTunes, five-star reviews only allowed. Uh, that's the rules. And also write a comment on iTunes. It takes less than a minute, literally, just say how awesome the show is. And with that being said, I will see you guys on the next one.